0: Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and ScoreNorth.com.
2: Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We got through the bye week. So the Vikings were off this week. I guess bad news if you're looking at the NFC playoff picture. Because just about every team below the Vikings won. Now, they're still in the playoff picture. They're still if the season ended today, in that discussion. But it's going to be a grind and now every game really is going to matter and have a ton of merit. So uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff to get into. But I want to start with this one here. Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis, Declan Goff here on the Purple Daily On Draft podcast feed. Uh, let's start with some quarterback talk because Vikings are going to practice on this Monday. We're recording this at like 1.30 p.m. Central Time. But who do you guys want to see get this quarterback nod? So Josh Dobbs has had it for about four or five games. He's looked good, but clunker... And the back end, too, especially in the Chicago Bears game, I feel like all bets are off of who the starter could be. So who do you want to see the Vikings start? Miles, I'm going to start with you. Who do you want to see the Vikings start against the Raiders when they come out of this bye on Sunday?
1: It's Dobbs for me. I just think they want to win. They still The playoffs are still hopeful. I think the way the, the, the um, standings have shaken out, they still have a, every opportunity to make the playoffs. And I think Dobbs gives them the best chance. To do that, if that if that's what they really want. Now, if they wanted to go find um, like let's see what Jaron Hall has, I would I'm I'm all for it. But it's clear that they want more than that. And that's not to say that Hall couldn't play well, but it's clear that they view Hall as the QB three and they don't want to put him in that type of situation. They only did against Atlanta because they had to. Um so it's obviously between Dobbs and, and uh and Mullins. And not that I'm like against Mullins, I just think Mullins gives you the safe option, but it does I don't think he gives you any sort of true upside where I think Dobbs, obviously, we saw when he first got here, we saw what that upside could look like. Now, we knew it, it would come screaming down at some point. You didn't hope it would be a four-turnover, four-interception-type uh, game that we saw last Monday. But I think with the breakoff, you know, Kevin O'Connell gets a chance to kind of breathe. I think Dobbs gets a chance to kind of breathe and and kind of learn to play, dive even further in the playbook. I think Kevin O'Connell took a week off maybe to, like, reevaluate his offense. I think Dobbs is the guy you should continue to roll with in the sense that Like I said, he gives you the floor or the the ceiling, but he also just gives you a baseline of like stable QB play. Now that doesn't mean you won't have the crazy games that we saw on Monday, but I think he just gives you more of a baseline of winning football games. And I think um, what he does is he allows you just to be more multiple. And I think when your offense is missing a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, having a guy that can be multiple that way is just that much more important um, if he's not your starting like day-to-day starting quarterback. And so I think that's what they should lean on. And then you get Justin Jefferson back. And I think Jefferson wants the explosive, you know, crazy, you know, let let that man go to work type of offense. And I think Dobbs is going to be the guy that's going to be able to do it because I think they can, they can, like I said, be more multiple. They could be more multiple with J.J. back on the field because teams aren't going to be able to just uh, man up guys on the outside and focus on the run game. They, they truly have to kind of defend you everywhere. If Kevin O'Connell is willing to kind of give Dobbs a little bit more opportunity to use his legs, which we saw the last couple of weeks, it really felt like their Kirk Cousins offense. Mm. And I'm not like blaming Kevin O'Connell for that. Like it's his offense. It's hard to like completely change your um the structure of your offense in the middle of the season. But my hope is with this time off, if they go back to Dobbs, they, they kind of like reinvent themselves just a little bit, just to kind of add a little bit more of that dimension to it. Um and then at the at the end there, I just think um Dobbs, I think he's the guy that um yeah, I, I just think he provides that like true ceiling of like being a potential playoff push for a playoff push I just don't think Mullins Mullins is a safe option but I don't think he really can win you games whereas we saw Dobbs has a chance to potentially win you games if things go right
2: so Forno I saw you tweet uh over the weekend on Sunday you know how good is Jaren Hall like as in how, how good is this guy is he, is he going to be good and obviously another year in the system and we'll probably see where he factions the Vikings long-term plans after the draft and then as OTAs and training camp develops. But if it's not Josh Dobbs, and I think I lean towards Miles, that I think it's going to be still Josh Dobbs. But why isn't Jaron Hall maybe getting more of uh, a, a chance to be the starter here? After yes, he was thrusted into that Falcons game, but also looked decent in the very small, full of plays that he had. Uh, why isn't Josh or why isn't uh, excuse me Jaron Hall getting more of the benefit of the doubt uh, for the Vikings to name him as the starting quarterback uh, against the Raiders, or even going forward for the rest of the season?
0: So, I want to start with this. I think it's going to be Nick Mullins. And that's not, that's just my conjecture. Uh, I think if Mullins wasn't hurt, they might not even make the trade for Josh Dobbs and they just ride with Nick Mullins. Yeah. And I think the, the Dobbs trade was really smart. You gave up basically a ham sandwich and you got back a cookie. Pretty dang good, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to complain about that trade. <laughs> but when you're talking about what the Vikings will do versus what they should do, I think they're two completely different things. I think they should roll with Jaren Hall. And yes, I love Jaren Hall. I loved him coming out of the draft. I was absolutely ecstatic when the Vikings ended up taking him. And you had that small sample size. Now, he also doesn't get that small sample size if Nick Mullins is healthy. I think we need to remember that. And that's part of the thought process I used of why I think the Vikings are going to go with Mullins. He gives you a baseline, especially in the rhythm passing game, which is very key to this offense. We can talk about Dobbs and how he gives you that extra element. he absolutely does. But the key to this passing game is timing rhythm and being able to hit your spots. And Mullins is able to do that. He showed that in San Francisco, there are all these weird stats out there where you have like a guy that just doesn't belong. Mullins is the fourth fastest quarterback to ever hit 4,000 yards passing. Like he's pretty good. He's a, yeah, I would consider him a top five backup quarterback in the NFL. Not a guy who is a backup, like, because you had, you have a lot of rookies who start as backups. They're not backups. They're quarterbacks in waiting. Nick Mullins is a standard backup, and he's one of the best in the National Football League. So he can step in and do a lot of the same things Kirk Cousins does. And one of the biggest issues Dobbs has is ball placement. Ball placement costs the Vikings multiple times against the Bears. That fourth down play to Hawkinson, he throws that like three feet forward. Hawkinson doesn't have to jump up. Yeah. He can just catch it, turn easy first down ball placement matters. And that's why the NFL is a game of inches. Little things translate to either success or failure. And it manifested itself in an awful way against the bears. And it wasn't exactly good beforehand. And you would think you'd see a little bit of improvement week over week because you have more time in the system. You have more time with the players to build up chemistry. You have a better understanding of the offense and where balls need to be placed, but it's not happening. And this is something that's been consistent with Dobbs over the course of of his entire career. Ball placement's an issue. And I don't think that's correcting itself through, uh, moving forward here. So either you want to deal with that or you want to try something different. And with a rhythmic passing game, it would probably be smart to try something different. For me, I would start Hall, as I said earlier, because you have an unknown. You're six and six. You have a top defense now. I believe since uh, week four, they're like third in EPA, or maybe that was. Uh, Since uh, the Justin Jefferson injury, like they're playing nuts football right now. They're giving the Vikings chances to win and the offense isn't delivering. The good part about going with hall is you have an upside that you just don't understand Dobbs. You understand what the upside is. You, there is a ceiling and you, you understand where that's at. Same with Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall is an unknown. And I consider all these quarterbacks to be in the similar bucket. If you, if you have one guy that has a potential to be more, you should go with that. Yeah. Especially because you have a question mark at quarterback of the future. The season's not over yet and you're not giving up, but the little bit you saw from hall against a good Falcons defense who held the jets to basically nothing on Sunday. Yeah. That doesn't mean a ton but they are six and six and that defense has played well throughout the course of the year. You give hall the opportunity to really roll with this offense. And you could potentially have something way more. And I think that upside is what trumps it for me versus the known commodities you have with Dobbs and Mullins. And I think you can win with both of them, but I'll shoot for the moon here and see if I can extract even
1: more from this team in this offense. So I think the one thing we said, we're going to see that the reason I said Dobbs, is because all we've heard about from, like, Kevin O'Connell the last two years um, in Minnesota is, like, he likes consistency. He likes – you know, they like to build off consistency, and they like to build off of uh, – um, they don't want to, like, deviate from that if they can. Like, that's why the offensive line for so long never changed. Like, they only moved Reisner to left guard because Ezra Cleveland got hurt. They never wavered off moving Ed Ingram off. Like, those types of things, I think O'Connell would struggle wanting to, to switch that out at this point be, if he doesn't have to. And so I think, I think he's kind of at a point where it's if you're going to take Dobbs out, you're kind of playing this, this carousel of QBs, of QB chairs, in the sense that you take Dobbs out, who did you saw play well. Obviously, you know say you know, played poorly the last couple of weeks. But in my opinion, he's earned an opportunity to kind of like work his – see if he can work his way out past the bye. But I also understand that like if, if, if he wants to go to Nick Mullins because like to your point, the, the, the pinpoint accuracy and his stuff is a little bit more accurate and he's got a little bit more timing, rhythm based in his game. I get it. I just think it'd be hard to then go back to Dobbs or try to go back to hall and still expect to be a playoff team. If you want to play this, like QB carousel. So I think wherever they go at this point and they need to kind of stick to it, it's needed to be like, it's this guy and mo- like rest of season type of thing. Obviously crazy things happen, all that stuff. But I'm saying like, you gotta, you gotta commit to somebody at this point um, because it's been long enough for all three. Um, somebody's just got to make a commitment. And I think they got to run with it at that point because the, the players on the team, are owed that as well. You want to know who your quarterback is week in and week out if you can help it. And I think at that point, like, why not let it be Dobbs? Let him see if he can continue to build rapport. And I also wonder what Justin Jefferson's opinion is of, the, yeah, of this, if it matters. It. Like, and I would assume it matters, but he's been out. So I'd just be curious kind of what his thoughts are on it too. Well, that I out. guess
0: my, my biggest question is before we move on, Declan, why has Dobbs earned anything right now? So uh, I asked this question because the last two weeks have been bad. And there have been flashes of good, but overall, they've been bad. And then you throw in the second half against the Saints. It was a it was a mixed bag. But the second team started getting film on what Dobbs was doing with the Vikings. They adjusted, and the Vikings have not been able to do so in counter.
1: So and I think that's a Kevin O'Connell problem. I'm not saying Dobbs doesn't have to play better. I'm saying Kevin O'Connell needs to adjust how he plays his play calling. On Monday night, we saw Josh Dobbs drop back 40 times like he's Kirk Cousins. Play from the pocket, and I'm not saying you can't have that a lot in your game because that's Kevin O'Connell's style. But he knows that Dobbs isn't that type of player, so I, I think there's got to be a benefit. Like you got to, like Kevin O'Connell's not absolved from the issues here with with Dobbs. Dobbs needs to play better, point blank. Period. But I think Kevin O'Connell needs to be willing to adjust to some of his skill set and what he does best if he if they want to move forward with him. And that's why I say he earns some more leeway just for those first few games to be able to come in and do what he's did. I mean, look at the ticket sale. Like, I, I know we last last episode we talked ticket sales with, like, all that stuff. Out, so I'm not going to check it out on that path too much. But I think there is a little bit of, like, this, like, uh, Dobbs mania that's been going on. And I think it's, like, benefited Minneapolis. It's got the te- team excited. It's got fans excited. And I know it's kind of come crumbling down. But I think we saw what it could be if they could kind of get things right again.
0: But even with the ticket sales, the Vikings sell out every single game before. I know. The that's, why, that's, anyway. why I pull, that's
1: why I pulled like, that one back. So I'll take that I, one back.
0: My biggest thing when I watch Dobbs on the all 22 and I watch what this offense is like, there's a difference between play calling and execution. And so many people want to go after the play calling, be like, Oh, Kevin O'Connell's a bad play caller. I've even seen people in my mentions saying we should fire. I'm not saying that either, by the way, I'm not not saying you are. I'm I'm just trying kind of talking in a vacuum here. Mm -hmm. So when I watch it, I see opportunities on the field to make plays. I see opportunities where things are open and Dobbs just needs to be a good quarterback and he's not doing those things. He's not doing the simple things. He's not reading his progressions well enough. And at this point because we I saw flashes against the Falcons of even going through full progressions. I saw great stuff against the Saints. But then the last two weeks and the Bears don't have a good pass defense. They have a great rush defense. So you should be able to exploit some things. He's not exploiting those things and he's not seeing things very well and he's not being able to throw the ball with consistency. And to me, those things are the worrisome thing because as my microphone decides to dip once again because this mic stand, I'm going to have to yell at my producer on the Real Forno show, Dave, because he bought this thing for me. But it's, it's some of those little things. You have to be able to execute, and you have to be able to do it properly. And right now, Dobbs isn't. I'm not saying he can't, but I can't also say that he's earned any sort of opportunity because the last two weeks, his lack of execution is the reason that the Vikings have lost these games as as a whole. So if you want to make a change, whereas you said you don't want to do this flippity-floppity game, and I completely agree, you have a bye week. You have two weeks to make a proper change, adjustment, get everybody on board, get everybody focused and cohesive, and you don't have to be this flippity-floppy team like the Cleveland Browns of the early 2000s when they were flipping with like Kelly Holcomb and Tim Couch. You can just—they just hey, they did go started together. Joe
1: Flacco yesterday too, and that's <laughs> the that's street. That's a whole different
0: disaster. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's I'm, not I about the though. flippity. It's yeah. not the flippity floppity if you have time. And I don't. I really don't think at this point Dobbs has earned anything with any form of consistency because of how the last
2: ten quarters of football have been.
1: Flippity floppity's never been in my vocabulary, but I got you. Like <laughs> we're on the like same
2: page. Uh, so, what quarterback do you think is best suited for Justin Jefferson's inevitable return here? So he's activated off IR. Um, obviously, he loses Kirk Cousins, so this is the first got- time he'll really be catching passes uh, from a Minnesota Vikings QB that isn't Kirk. So, what quarterback is probably best suited for JJ's game here? And look, JJ can make a lot of other bad quarterbacks look good. So it's not just uh, one way here; it's two ways, but which quarterback on the roster, in your European miles, does give Justin Jefferson the best chance to basically be Justin Jefferson?
1: I think that the hard part is coming in. Like, how are they going to treat JJ? Is he full go? Like, no, like training wheels are off. Like he's he's not holding back. And I would assume he's the type of player that he's not coming back if he isn't doing that. But like, how does the my question to the offense is like, do we go back to this? It's JJ and then everybody else offense, or has Addison and, and Hawkinson and those guys kind of? played their way into kind of letting it be more of a not an even split because that's never gonna happen with Justin Jefferson. It should always be JJ like seventy twenty ten type of scenario, whatever we want to do, the the breakdown. But I guess it would depend on that for me. But I think I still believe like I think Mullins in a timing based offense, it's yes, I agree. I think it's Mullins from that from that perspective. If they want to be a little bit more um dynamic, I think, and a little bit more different, um, and and kind of put the the ball downfield a little bit more, maybe do a little bit more like uh, with, with J.J., how they move J.J. all over, I still think Dobbs has a chance to kind of, because he has his capability and his ability to like, read, read the defenses uh, when he escapes the pocket. I think when I think he's the best quarterback on roster when he escapes the pocket for obvious reasons. But I think he still has a chance to, like, look downfield because he's got Jefferson in those types of situations when plays break down. So I'm still going to lean Dobbs, but I to that reason, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Mullins because of the timing-based offense because he gets the ball out in rhythm. But I think the one thing that you mentioned, Declan, too, is J.J. makes quarterbacks right. So a throw could be slightly off, a little bit of not quite pinpoint accurate, but he still makes the quarterbacks right by catching the ball in, in any crazy sort of way. And I think that in itself could, could, could lend to also it still being Dobbs because J.J. makes guys right in a lot of cases.
2: What about you, Forno? Is, is Mullins the guy that's probably the safest bet here? Is it Josh Dobbs with the athletic ability? And we can see, you know, a scrambling quarterback kind of move around and find Justin Jefferson. Uh, which quarterback do you think kind of suits JJ's skill set the best?
0: It's probably Mullins at this point uh, because, like, I, it could be Hall. I don't think it's Dobbs. And JJ can do those things. He can make a quarterback much better. That doesn't mean he will where you want to put him in those situations. Uh, And it's something that I've learned over time with contested catches. You have the ability to be a great receiver in contested catches. That's awesome. But why are you in contested catch situations? What what is the context of you getting those contested catches and you not getting those contested catches? There's a reason behind everything. And some guys, like Nikhil Harry, was considered a great contested catch receiver coming out. Well, that was because he couldn't separate, and that manifested itself in a very poor way in the NFL, and that's why he just landed back on the Vikings practice squad today, instead of getting a second contract um, out coming out of Arizona State. Like The context here matters, and I, w- I would prefer a guy, considering the situation that we're in, who's going to be able to deliver more of an accurate football consistently, and that's why I think the Vikings are going to kind of be in the same realm, where they're going to see, hey, Mullins is going to be able to throw that pinpoint football, so let's make sure we get the ball on Jefferson with timing, with efficiency, with good placement, and then we can let Jefferson do his thing. And I, w- I would still go with hall, but I really think Mullins is the guy because with how the kind of success they were having with Kirk cousins, Mullins is like the discount version of Kirk. <laughs> and I think you can really roll with that and run the offense the way that they were with cousins, not quite as at, as at high of a level, but at a very good level to pair with that defense to be able to get you into the playoffs.
2: Yeah. He's like the uh, $3 bin at Walmart, right? He's like kind of the, the, you got a rainy day. You don't got any streaming Every services. You find a
1: great movie in there, man. You, can,
2: you really can too. Yeah. You know, you got no internet at the cabin Surf for the ninjas. week.
1: Yeah. A, knows that, one. that That is oh, a good yeah. one.
2: Those are all good ones. Uh, hey, before we get into um, another topic here, I actually want to impromptu kind of throw this uh, at you guys too. So Jordan Addison, I think going into the bye week said, he was asked if, you know, have you have you called, do you think that this rookie season for you has been a success? And paraphrasing here to a degree, but Jordan basically said, you know, if you would have asked me this 12 weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. But he said, now, no, I, I feel like I want to do more. I, I need to do more. Um, I haven't done enough. So also with JJ coming back here, and I think it was, you know, when Justin Jefferson was healthy, Jordan was fine. But obviously, Addison put up some big games too without Justin Jefferson. Are you guys eager to see this offense too with J.J. and Addison on the field together? like Miles, do you think that both these guys can end up tearing things up? I know, yeah, the quarterback options is a big one here, but I guess how do you see this offense now fitting with J.J. and Jordan Addison now back on the field for the first time in like basically two months?
1: Yeah, I think to, to start your first point with Addison, it really does feel like he kind of hit that rookie wall, probably really tired, really exhausted, and he kind of had to carry the, the receiving room for a little bit there while J.J. was out. Not the entire time. I think Brandon Powell did a great job of stepping in and obviously Hawkinson. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, think they, I, I think I've always thought they could be a great dynamic duo. I think it's about how you fit those guys together that allows them to both be multiple within this offense and not just stick one guy in the line of scrimmage on the inside and say go run your route while the other guy kind of gets to move around the formation. So I think lo- allowing those guys to kind of be multiple and let, let them interchange each other um, is important to continue with uh, Addison's development. But I, I just think with all the attention going to, uh, to J.J., this time with Addison kind of being the the number one guy on the outside has allowed him to kind of learn and learn to be better running his routes, getting off the line of scrimmage. And I think that's just going to help him see more one-on-one opportunities against, against defenses. We're going to be solely focused on, on JJ. And I think he's, he's gotten better to the point where you trust him to win those um, those opportunities more frequently than he might've earlier in the season. Cause we saw some of those struggles. I think he's kind of learned to, to move past them. And I think, I think with JJ back, it takes a lot of that pressure off him too. Maybe he felt like he had to be the guy to to kind of, um, to build up this offense, especially when Kirk got hurt. Um, you could tell when Kirk was around, guys kept, were playing free because it felt like the offense was just in a flow. Obviously that went to a screaming halt once he got hurt. And I think all that change, and that's where I go back to the change at quarterback, like maybe like stability there does matter. And I think that could also be a factor in a little bit of the wall that, that Addison hit with the, with the changes that QB and all the like unsuredness of like where they're going. But um, I think that dynamic duo could be, could be really good. Plus you, you plug in TJ Hawkinson, who's been fantastic the last what like month, month and change, you know, kind of since the first couple weeks were a struggle uh, or the couple of weeks in there that he had a struggle, but um, I think they could be really good again. And I think they can get this offense back to being a, you know, hopefully like a top 10 type type offense. If, if they can kind of get things rolling with the quarterback.
2: Or Do you think a uh, bye week probably helped out Jordan Addison here to kind of rest up, recharge a little bit? To Miles's point, maybe he just hit a hit a nasty wall, and now he'll be uh, recharged and kind of have a, a new Batman do his game. And Justin Jefferson, do you see big things still coming for the Vikings rookie wide receiver by the end of the year? I don't know. Maybe, um, it, and it's a really tough question to answer. I think Addison's
0: going to be really good long term, and I think the last seven weeks have been great, in a, as far as his long term development. Let's be honest, he wasn't ready to be a number one wide receiver. He needed a little bit of time. And I think that time frame was about a year. Get yourself situated. You have to learn more of a professional route tree. And he has all the tools to be able to utilize that. But sometimes that little bit of actually conceptualization and being able to use it on the field, it makes sense. And that's why it can manifest itself in a greatness. But it takes time. You can't just become an elite NFL level route runner right off the bat. It doesn't work like that. Even Justin Jefferson took time to be able to figure things out in the national football league, because it's just different. You have to be super precise and consistent with all of your, uh, your plateaus and all of, all of your points. The second you hit 10 yards, you need to be making that break. You can't do it at 10 and a half or 10 and a quarter. You have to do it right at 10. Like those things matter. And doing so against the best cornerback that the other team has is a great learning tool. And it's something that we can use moving forward. And I love that he has the mentality like, I didn't do enough. I need to be better. I think that's great. Yeah, it's It's something you want in an athlete or really anybody in any profession. Because they say, hey, I need to be doing X, Y, and Z to be better. And being able to see that at such a young age is awesome. And it's something that he should be applauded for. Now his life is going to get a little easier. And he's going to be able to try and utilize some of those things. Right. Because bye week is more about not just healing up um, physically and mentally, but it's also about reflection. Utilize that time to see, hey, what am I doing? Like that first week of the bye is about self-scouting. Coaching staff does it. Players do it. And then once you're done self-scouting, then you can kind of put that out back into the universe and utilize that to better yourself and your team. And I think long-term Addison's got a very bright future. I don't know if it's going to manifest itself with catches and yards uh, and touchdowns throughout the rest of the year with Jefferson coming back and Hawkinson and the quarterback situation. But I think overall we should expect great things from Addison. And it's great to see what his mindset is right now.
2: So on the, let's let's transition to with the last five games, six games or so left in the regular season. Let's, let's go here. So, Obviously, rookies have made a somewhat of a significant uh, impact on this team. Some second-year players, too. Basically, quasi era drafted players. Uh, Miles, are you looking at anyone here in the last you know month and change of the season to kind of show up here from, that, from those two last two draft classes? Is there a, maybe not a make-or-break someone in this year's class, because you're not just going to cut someone straight up, but is there a make-or-break moment for one of these Vikings players in the last two drafts to really show up and, make a big impact, not just uh, for the Vikings, but maybe themselves too on solidifying their case as an everyday player and whatnot. So what players do you, uh, in the last two drafts, are you looking to maybe show up here in a big way for the Vikings?
1: I mean, the obvious one's probably Louis Cien, So I won't go down that route again. Uh, we've talked to nauseum about that, dude. Um, I would, it would be nice to see him get some run though. Um, but I think the two names that I kind of like think about would be Ty Chandler, obvious reasons. I think, um, Alexander Madison's played well the last couple of weeks. And I think, you know, that's a good thing. I think maybe they adjusted their run scheme a little bit to to fit a little bit more of what he does well. But I think we also saw that Chandler has the juice. Like he's a guy that you get in space, you get, you know, more opportunities. I think if he's a guy that you want to potentially see more opportunities with, I think that should continue to happen. Um, even if Madison's playing, you know, a little bit better than he was earlier in the season, we still know that as a home run hitter, Ty Chandler is that guy. So I think Ty Chandler's one of those people. I also think I would love to see Andrew Booth. It's super weird this this defense is like They, they, they play three corners and that's it. And then the rest are safeties. Like if anybody else has to come into the game, they're playing a safety. And, uh, I, Andrew Booth, like on a roster that only like has four cornerbacks uh, on the 53 booth is like the fifth guy. And I still think that's super weird to me. Like they even had Joe on Williams get in, get in run a couple weeks ago over, over booth. So I'm just curious, like what's going on behind the scenes because when booth's been on the field, there's a, he's played, you know, okay. Like I'm not going to sit here and say the sample size is large enough to to be like truly excited about it but I thought there's been moments that you know he played he played pretty well and I thought they'd be able to build off and let him you know continue to get run but he's kind of hit this like huge roller coaster where he's in and he's out um I think he's just another guy that if if you're not going to commit to him a, a lot like being a true depth piece and I think then depth cornerback next offseason needs to be even more of a priority than it than it probably should be um because you have Blackman you got um uh Byron Murphy and then you have a Caleb Evans, but Behind them, if if Booth really isn't that going to be that guy, they kind of got to round out that, that back end of that roster, of that uh, position, I should say.
2: no, how about you, man? Um, I, Obviously, those two are good ones too, Andrew Booth. Uh, potentially, I know he went in limited snaps, and with the way it's schemed, he can't really get on the field a ton, but he, I think he has had a, a better impact on this team than last year's version of him. Anyone else in the last two draft classes that you really want to see take another step forward this year? I'd like to see a
0: little bit more Ja'quel and Roy. Uh, You lost Dean Lowry for the season with, uh, I believe they didn't. They just said it was a pectoral injury that would require surgery. That screams torn pectoral, but they never explicitly said torn. They just said pectoral injury that required surgery. So uh, I'm kind of putting the pieces together there. I'd like to see him uh, utilize a little bit more, especially on those uh, run stopping downs. And then on third downs, you can put him in at nose tackle, and then he's a good pass rusher. He comped uh, NFL.com's Lanzerland, comped him to uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. That's the style of player that you have, and I'd like to see him get a little bit more run. I, I don't think he's the most consistent player, but he's got higher upside than a guy like Jonathan Bullard, but Bullard has been a model of consistency, so having him out there a lot makes a lot of sense. I'd like to see these guys get a little bit more rotation. I still don't get why kairos Tong has played so little this year, especially after the great year he had last year, but we also don't have prop arguably one of his biggest advocates in the room and Chris Rumph, who just, who's been on a leave of absence for about a month and a half. He just took the Clemson defensive line uh, position this morning at the university. And I saw that so, super. So weird. he's, he's back in the college game and I'm wondering if it, uh, after his fourth season in the NFL, he's just like, you know what? I'd rather be in college dealing with college kids. And you know what? That's cool. Good for him. If that's the path he wants, that's fine. But it's a loss for the Vikings. And, Rump was in Chicago when they brought Kairos Tonga in initially. So that's probably the Genesis of why the Vikings grabbed him early on in 2022. And you can probably link some of that. Um, Also Ed Ingram, keep making strides. Yeah. He's played better this season. What he isn't is extremely consistent. And I think that's just going to be a part of his game long-term. It's because of how he plays. He is a, power puncher. You look at some of those heavyweight fighters and they just throw an absolute cannon right hook, but then they leave them susceptible to an uppercut or a body shot. And he does that too much. And he needs to just clean that up. And what he does, he'll just lunge too much when he makes some of those punches and then he can get beat. If he can throw those punches without lunging as much and really be able to hold his, his ground, then I think you're going to really see some growth. He's only allowed 34 pressures this season last year. He allowed 58. So sorry, 35. That's less than three a game. It's a significant improvement from last season. And we also have to remember, not all pressures are the same. Some of it has to do with the fact that, Hey, it's Kirk cousins cousins will hold on to the ball a long time. Some of it because of his own uh, attrition. Some of it because these route concepts are longer developing and that's why you, kinda, you can kind of cross-reference it with something like pass rush, rush win rate, where they, if you hold your ground for two and a half seconds, then you win the rep. And I think Ingram is playing well. He's playing at worst average. The average is, is great for what we have right now, yeah. how our salary cap is going to project forward. So I'd like to see a little bit more from him, but he's had a lot of flashes of really, really good play.
2: Yeah, he's definitely improved after a, what was a disastrous rookie season for him and he's I would like to see him take this next step here. Obviously like Dalton Reisner's fine, you know, can they get better production from someone else in the draft or free agency next year? They could if they wanted to. But in general, if you get Ed Ingram, I think, locked into the right spot or kind of take a, a big step forward, the rest of this line could look really dang good. Uh, you guys were reviewing, or at least I know Forno was, you were looking at some wide receivers in the draft this year, and you know, you might look at the Vikings and see Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, and you could say, hey, you're set at wide receiver there, but there is a drop-off. And maybe, more importantly, there is a lack of a really vertical threat. Like, J.J.'s great. Addison is a tactitional master, I think, is what we called him off the mic. But they are missing that right that downfield vertical threat to this game. And this wide receiver class uh, is supposed to be pretty deep. So Forno, uh, you, could, you could even say you could maybe find someone like day two or three on the draft next year. If they don't go wide receiver with their first pick, which I obviously I don't think they will, but if they found one in rounds two, three, uh, four, five, what players could they be on the lookout? What players are kind of catching your eye early on here as we look to the draft next season?
0: So it's going to be interesting how the Vikings view this process versus what I think they should do, and I think they should get a guy who can stretch you vertically down the field. The thing is, I don't think they're going to draft a guy who's a one trick pony. They're going to draft somebody who's much more of a well-rounded football player. And that has to do with the fact that this offense, like that's why Addison was so intriguing because you're doing a lot of option routes. You're doing a lot of breakers and you do attack downfield, but it's not the genesis of what this offense is. The genesis of this offense is between 10 and 19 yards. That is the bread and butter. And honestly, that's how you win in today's NFL, but you still need somebody to be able to vertically stretch you out. And I think there's some interesting talent. I think that there's a real possibility that you could find a Stefan Diggs type player in this class because of how deep it is. That's taken on day three, that fell for any number of reasons that shouldn't have based on talent alone. And they're able to come in and be a great player right away. Um, some of the guys I'm looking at, like, there's a wide range of talent between like, let's say mid second round and like round five. I just watched Arizona's Jacob Cowing. 5'11", 175. That dude can ball. And I think his draft is going to be hurt because people will watch his 23 tape. They used him as a screen merchant because Tetra McMillan, who I think will be wide receiver one in 2025, um, became that alpha option. And they kind of just used Cowing in more of a slot role. So his uh yards per catch in 2021 at UTEP was 19.2. Last year it was eight. And that's because of just how they chose to use him with the rest of their personnel. I like Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky a lot. You're going to hear people comp players to Debo Samuel. I even saw somebody comp Romo Dunze to Debo Samuel, which makes zero sense on any level other than they both play wide receiver. But Malachi Corley has the frame. He has the size and he has the play style. And when I do comps, I do play style comps because it's unfair to comp anybody to a, a great football player. In the NFL, because it's just setting themselves up for failure. What I can do is tell you hey, they play similar to this dude, and that's the package and usage you'd like to see from him in the NFL. Malachi Corley is going to be used like Debo Samuel, 5'11, 225, built like a Mack truck, and he can run in the 4'4s. Four you can do a lot with him. That Western Kentucky air raid, they gave him the ball in short spaces. In 2022, 76% of his yards were all after the catch. So if you want that type of player, you have him. The two Texas wide receivers as I wrap up really intriguing options. Xavier worthy. He's built like tank Dell, but he's six foot, not five, eight and a half. And he has a drop issue, but I don't see that it being a, a major problem in the NFL. Cause I think you can work with him. You can drill it. You can work on the tracking. You can work on, on how he utilizes his hands. Like he's not body catching this stuff and dropping him. It's hands. And I, I think that's fixable. Plus, he runs like a 4-3-5. And then Adnai Mitchell, transfer from Georgia, more of a big body deep threat, and I think he can do a lot of stuff in the intermediate levels of the field well. These guys aren't going to be first-round picks, probably day two, but testing could shoot them up the board, and with how deep this class is, you could find a gem in the 50s like one of these guys and be able to take this offense to a different level because you are attacking vertically down the field. Justin Jefferson can go deep. He is not a deep threat in the sense of some of the other top guys in the national football league are deep threats. He's going to kill you in the intermediate levels and then take it upfield. And I want somebody who's great at attacking vertically. That's going to make Jefferson's job a heck of a lot easier.
2: So uh, miles on the college football front, we got the uh, college football playoff that was announced. The uh, hot button issue, Florida state uh, left out despite a undefeated season. Bama sneaks their way in after beating Georgia. On Saturday, uh, your thoughts and I guess uh, your gripes with maybe the college football playoff leaving out an undefeated Florida State team.
1: Well, it's it's clear that they they know that the they're expanding to the twelve the twelve team playoff next year, so they were like, we'll take it on the chin this year and kind of do what we want to do, yeah. And that's to make sure that there's an SEC team in the in the final four, and I think that is always going to be the case, like if they can help it. And obviously, with how Alabama came on toward the end of the season and beating Georgia in the SEC championship. It made that decision easy for them because if Georgia wins, obviously Georgia's a shoe in because they're undefeated in the SEC. If Alabama wins, it's probably a little bit of a harder conversation. I also think they were hoping Florida State was going to lose once Jordan Travis got hurt. I really do. I think it, they were just hoping, hey, let's make this decision easy. You guys lose because you don't have your star quarterback. Blah blah blah. Well, they didn't, and they won out. And yeah, it might not have been as oppressive, but like they did what they're supposed to do is win football games, and they're being punished. Because their star quarterback got hurt but they still won football games yeah so they're at a point where like they're they're at a point like Florida State is like or any team that's not a in the SEC or uh maybe the Big Ten like the, the we you could call it the power two or, you know the power five but like Florida State's in the ACC so it's not like they're in some like you know lower level division you know uh conference it's a hard conference to play and they're playing Florida they beat two SEC teams this year or maybe three at I, I know two. for sure two yeah um two which is no slouch in itself. Like, I just don't get what else Florida State's supposed to do. Um, they're just supposed to like hope that their quarterback doesn't get hurt. Otherwise, like, they're like the coach's job is to win football games. The player's job is to win football games. And you win the ACC championship. Um, you go undefeated in the Power Five, being left out of the of the college football playoff with two other teams that had losing re- or not losing records, but lost a uh, lost a game. It just doesn't sit right with me. It just makes Winning those football games not matter for Florida state in the way that they should, because they did everything they're supposed to do, but apparently it's not good enough because they didn't do it in a flashy way that they didn't do it in like a stylistic way that we're supposed to enjoy it. They did it in a little bit more smash mouth, not as like fun football to watch. So people are just, I don't know, like that's where I'm, I don't like the subjective takes on it. I really don't. I don't like it subjective. It should be. Yeah. We know that this isn't the best outcome for us from a college football playoff committee, but like they they did what they're supposed to do. Like, how are we supposed to punish them for that? And that doesn't mean Alabama didn't do a good enough job to earn their, their opportunity, but they're lost to Texas. Like, that's not, that's not Florida state's fault. Yeah. Like Florida state, Florida state didn't lose them that game. Like they, they lost that game and they played really, I was, I almost swore. So Talk apologies. It. They played, they played poorly early in the season, <laughs> but because Like, they flipped. They did the reverse of what Florida State's doing, but theirs isn't injury-related. So, apparently, like, those early games don't really matter. Like, Alabama playing poorly but still winning early doesn't matter because they played well late and, you know, so, like – and it it just shows you that the SEC always is king and it's always going to be king until proven otherwise. And so, I'm just frustrated in the fact that, like, for Florida State and their fans that, like, they couldn't have done anything different once Jordan Travis got hurt but win and they did that. And they still are getting punished for it. So I'm just not a fan of that.
2: All right, Forno, I know you're a big Florida guy, so you get to defend Florida state here. So Ah, um, don't make me do it. Unfortunately, the Florida state Seminoles aren't going to the college football playoff. And obviously miles disagrees that a lot of people obviously disagree with it. Uh, What are your thoughts on Bama going instead of Florida state? It's
0: it's crap. It's crap is what it is. And, What's really difficult is it's actually written in the criteria for the committee that you need to take into effect who's going to be playing in these games. So not having Jordan Travis does matter. And what's tough is they played okay against Florida. And honestly, Florida outplayed them a good part of that game. But Florida's lack of discipline, literally everywhere cost them. And Florida state was able to escape with the win. They started a true freshman third string quarterback, Brock Glenn. They beat a top 15 team by double digits in the ACC title game. Now you have historical precedent about a backup quarterback, but it's a little different. 2014 JT Barrett snaps his leg. Cardale Jones has to come in and be that guy. Well, Cardale Jones whipped Wisconsin 59 to nothing in the big 10 title game. And that was the top 20 team. Florida state didn't do that. They, this is where style points can matter. And should it? That's a whole different conversation. But you're not talking about a bunch of people like me who watch 16 hours of college football every single Saturday. You're talking about a bunch of athletic directors, a bunch of presidents who don't watch the sport with any form of regularity, like people like myself. So when you look at Florida State, they held Florida, who's got a pretty solid offense, even though they were starting a back quarterback, and Louisville, who was 10-2, and it absolutely exploded on some really good defenses, including torching Notre Dame. They held both of those teams. I think it was uh, a net of negative 41 yards combined in the fourth quarter of their last two games. That defense was playoff caliber worthy. They still had weapons on the outside. And you know what? Rodermaker, maker, their backup would have been back because he almost was back after suffering con- concussion on that cheap shot against Florida. So I don't even think that logic is fair. And then to say, hey, we're gonna put in liberty because you won all your games over SMU, but then you didn't do it before. It's this this whole committee process is kind of a joke. And I understand that part of what they're thinking is, oh, Alabama's gonna give you a more exciting game. But Alabama didn't deserve it, they didn't earn it. Texas should have been in over Bama, because Texas beat Bama in Tuscaloosa by 10. That like you're telling these teams that the games don't matter. And you they said SMU losing to TCU and Oklahoma power five opponents when they're in the AAC. Oh, now that matters. You tried to play good teams and you lost them. Florida state scheduled two SEC teams and beat them. One neutral, one home. Sorry. One neutral run road. Cause it was at Florida, Texas hosted or Alabama hosted Texas. And you're saying, Hey, That doesn't matter. Oh, you only beat South Florida by 14 in what arguably the worst college football game of the year. You only beat Arkansas by three. You had a miracle to beat your arch rival 6-6 and Auburn. Like This team did not play well most of the season. Jalen Millro started to figure it out at the end, but overall, this is not a very good Bama team. They did not deserve to be in the playoff. They only got in because their name is Alabama. If you had, let's say, Arizona State, the exact same resume as Bama, they don't make it. It's because of the SEC. It's because of Alabama. And it's a bunch of crap. It really is. And Florida State fans should be mad as a college football fan. Like the big thing with college football, Declan, the best teams usually don't make it. They don't. Because resume matters. How you actually play in the games matters. The fact that you win all your games it's supposed to matter yeah. when you're in a Power Five conference. They weren't in the Sun Belt. They weren't like Liberty Conference USA, who's thirteen and zero. They were in the ACC, which is arguably down, but it's not on its death door, right? This decision, the ACC is gone within five years. It, it's done because the committee said winning your games does not matter.
1: Their argument and, now will be that there's twelve game, there's twelve teams moving forward. That's the argument they'll be able to make now. Just
0: wait until an uh, eleven, like uh, a ten and two, um, yep. ACC second place doesn't make the playoff. <laughs> yeah, because the games don't matter, and it's yep. a dangerous precedent. And it's like Agreed. Florida State fans should be really, really upset. And now they get to go be annihilated by Georgia. And the other argument: Oh, nobody wants to see Florida State lose by forty. They said that about TCU last year, and TCU beat Michigan 45-42. 42. Yeah, they lost uh, by fifty-eight to Georgia, but they won a game when nobody gave them any form of chance. And quite frankly, they dominated most of it. So I don't, I don't even want to hear that. You put the teams who earned it in. Bama didn't, and Florida State did, and it's bad for college football.
2: I love this. This is therapeutic. I know a lot of people obviously identify with this too, so I wanted to make sure uh, to give you guys a uh, well. And the, and the
1: last thing too, Declan, there for me is if you're gonna like, I heard the committee, one of the committee chairs say. The reason they picked Alabama is because by the end of the season they felt that they were a better football team. Uh, they felt that they had a, like they were playing better. Blah blah blah. They need to do those rankings all like when you when they, whenever they start their like official playoff rankings um, when they'll start during the season. They need to weigh it that way. Then start weighing those decisions that way, not just because the team's undefeated. Wait, like like stop talking out of both sides of your mouth. Yeah, like be at least be consistent. Like be consistent with it. That's all we're asked for.
0: And if that's the case, why is Michigan in because they're not playing like a top four team in the country. They haven't been right. for weeks. You could argue they haven't been all season.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, all good stuff, man. I'm I'm excited to watch it and I'm excited for it to go to twelve, but I do feel horrible for Florida State fans who, yeah, went undefeated in a might be weaker, but still power five conference and weren't able to to go there. It stinks. Uh, Purple Daily on Draft though does not stink every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and podcast feed. You can hit the subscribe button for daily Vikings Entertainment. Uh, We had a great episode with Alex Boone. Jeremiah Searles joined us randomly and unpromptly on the episode too, so you can check that out. Uh, Plus Before I Die with uh, Jesse Pierce, Ross Brendel, Judd Zolgat, that also dropping on Monday afternoon. So we're back. Bye week is over, and now uh, pedal to the ground. Pedal to the metal the rest of the way. Hit that subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Sports and Vikings Entertainment.